Hagar and Ishmael. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar, and she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan for ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now she knows that she is pregnant. She despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her as you think best. Then Sarai ill-treated Hagar, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from? And where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that will will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now with child. You will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me, for, she said, I see one who, I have seen the one who sees me. This is the word of God. God. Let's pray together. Lord our God, help us to learn something new from your word to see with fresh eyes something of your glory and your goodness as the God who sees us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Liz and I have been looking after our grandchildren for the past week. And uh, they're not in here, so I can say that we'll be very relieved to pass them back to their parents later today. Because they're a bit older now, they're six and four and a half, but when they were a lot younger, sometimes they would put their hands over their eyes 
and they would say, you can't see me. Little children do that sometimes. They think that if they can't see you, you can't see them. They soon grow out of that, of course. But not always with adults. Some adults never grow out of that delusion. They think that if they shut their eyes to God, God cannot see them and is not concerned with them. You remember, I'm sure, that when Adam and Eve ate the fruit that God told them not to eat, and they heard God approaching in the garden, they went to hide. They thought that if they couldn't see God, God wouldn't be able to see them. But of course, Scripture is quite clear. God sees all things. In Psalm 139, we have these words, You've searched me, Lord, and know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. And earlier this morning when we were at uh, Quaker Road, um, we, we prayed the prayer of preparation that begins with these words, Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden. I wonder how you feel about that. Perhaps you feel a little like the child who wants to shut your eyes and hope that God doesn't see you. And yet, Scripture constantly presents this truth that God sees us as something that should encourage us and in which we should take comfort. As in Psalm 139, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Too lofty for me to obtain, to, to attain. It's a wonderful thing for me to know that you, God, see me. This morning we're looking at this title of God, El Roy, the God who sees. And this title occurs only once in the whole of Scripture, although the truth that God sees us runs throughout Scripture. But this title occurs only once in the whole of Scripture. And it's in this passage that was read to us from Genesis chapter 16. Sarah, I'm going to call her Sarah, and I'm going to call Abraham, Abraham because it, otherwise I'd get confused. Sarah couldn't bear any children to Abraham. And so she suggests to Abraham, why don't you take my servant, Hagar, and have a child by her? This was a common thing amongst the nations amongst whom Abraham was living. Surrogate parenthood like this was common 
a slave could bear a child and it would be considered the child of her mistress. So that's what Abraham did. He took Hagar and slept with her and she became pregnant. But as soon as she was pregnant, she began to be rather arrogant and mock her mistress. I've got a baby. You couldn't have one. And so Sarah became angry with Hagar and began to ill-treat her so that she ran away from Abraham and Sarah. But there, as she was running away, and in a desert beside a spring, the Lord met with her in the person of the angel of the Lord. And the Lord made promises to her. He promised to bless her and the son that she was going to bear, who'd have a difficult life, but he would be blessed by God. And God's blessing would be on their children and descendants to come. And so Hagar was encouraged to return to her mistress. But before she did so, she said this, You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. I have seen the one who sees me. And I think when she said, I have seen the one who sees me, she didn't just mean that she'd seen something of God, God had appeared to her, but she meant that she understood this now. Just like you or I might say to someone when they try to explain something to us, oh, I see... She is saying she sees and understands now that God sees her. Many times she must have heard Abraham and Sarah talking about the living God. The God who had appeared to Abraham, who had made promises to Abraham. And perhaps she thought that's all very well for them. He is their God. He looks after them. But now she has discovered something new. She has discovered that this same God is the God who sees her and cares about her. And she goes back to a difficult situation with that knowledge that God sees her. God cares for her. God is a God who sees and cares. This is a truth that runs throughout Scripture. Do you remember that occasion when God met with Moses at the burning bush? Moses had failed to help his people, the Israelites. But God now sends him back to be the one through whom God will deliver the Israelites from Egypt. And God says this to him. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in, his, in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down 
to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. God describes himself in this wonderful way. He is the God who sees. His eyes are upon his people. His eyes are upon those in need. He is the God who hears. He hears their cry. He is the God who is concerned. He cares about them. And he is the God who doesn't stand by idle. But he is the God who comes down to do something about their situation and to rescue them. And this wonderful truth about God is a truth we see displayed supremely in the Lord Jesus Christ. When you look at our world, what do you think about it? There's so much in our world to give us joy and for which we give thanks. There's beauty. There's human fellowship and family. There's lots to give thanks for. But there's also lots in our world that is ugly and confusing and troubling. Look, for instance, at the presidential elections in the United States. And there is much that is awful and evil and cruel. See what is going on in Syria with barrel bombs and gas dropped on innocent civilians and the cruelty of IS. And you might cry out, why doesn't God do something? There were similar thoughts in the days of Isaiah when God's people, the Israelites, had been taken into captivity and Jerusalem had been destroyed and the temple had been knocked down. And Isaiah cries out to God, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. But this is what God has done in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is not a God who stands far off, who does not see the needs of his world, who does not hear its cries. He is a God who cares and has come down in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came to show us something of the character of the living God in the way he cared for those who were in need. But he's done more than just show us the character of God. He went to the cross for us. And there at Calvary, he bore the evil and wickedness of humankind in all its violence in his own body and suffered and died in our place but in doing so also gained victory over the forces of evil by his resurrection from the dead and he lives forever to give help to those who are in need. 
Jesus shows us that God sees. He sees this world in all its need. He sees you and I in all our need. He hears. He hears our cries. He hears the cry of the oppressed. He is concerned. He has a heart of compassion. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that all who believe in him might not perish, but have eternal life. He is a God who came down to save us. And so this confidence gives us hope in every and every situation. The Apostle Paul could say, I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the evidence that God sees and hears and cares and has done something for us. I'm sure over the last week or so you have seen some of the programmes that have remembered the awful disaster at Aberfan 50 years ago on October the 21st when 118, 116 children and 28 adults were killed when that coal tip came down upon the town. And as there were testimonies given by those who survived that awful disaster, there were some who said, I can't believe any more in God. How could God allow such a thing to happen? They were convinced that God does not see, that he does not hear the cries of children, that he is not concerned that he does nothing about it. But there were others, and particularly there was a Christian minister whose testimony I heard again, who himself had lost two children in that disaster, I believe it was two, and who was ministering to other parents who had lost their children. And he was asked, what can you say to them? What can you say to them about God in such a situation? And he said that because he believed that God had come in the person of Jesus Christ and died an awful death upon the cross for us, so he was convinced and knew that in the midst of all this suffering, God was with them and that Christ was with them that God saw them in their need and God cared about them and God would be with them. His faith was strengthened in the midst of that awful situation through a knowledge of the love of God in Christ Jesus. This is the truth that Hagar discovered She'd heard about God 
that until this time she hadn't seen that God saw her, that God cared about her. But now she saw it. What about you this morning? Do you see it? Not just heard about God, heard people telling you about God and preaching about God and testifying about God, but you see it for yourself. That God sees you. He knows all about you. He hears you. hears you when you cry. And he cares about you. And has sent his son into the world to be your saviour. There's many things you still will not understand. There's many things we don't understand. But we can see this. That God cares for us and has given us a living hope in the Lord Jesus that the day will come when all things will be made new, when there will be no more suffering and tears, when Christ shall reign. There will be no more sin or death, no more parting, but simply the knowledge that he is ours. And we are his forever. And we need to live day by day then in the light of this truth, knowing that God sees us. Living in the light of his eyes upon us, like a little child who delights that their parent has got his or her eyes on them as they uh, do what they do, play or whatever they're doing. They delight to know that their parent sees them. We should be like that. Living in the light of God's sight of us, a knowledge of us, and delighting in his care. I want to close with the, some words from 1558. A prayer to the God who sees us and knows all about us. And a prayer that God would be in my head and in my understanding. God be in mine eyes and in my looking. God be in my mouth and in my speaking. God be in my heart and in my thinking. God be at my end and at my departing. May that be true of us, that we live and die in the conscious presence of the living God.